Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We get to read God's Word now, and we're continuing in John chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 7. And it should be on the screen behind me. Starting at verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, but whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is a demon-possessed man and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thanks. Good morning, everyone. My name's Ross, if we haven't met. We are working our way through the Gospel of John and uh, yeah, we're up to some really significant points now where Jesus is explaining himself and who he is and how we know him and uh, who he is, so why we should know him. Uh, So we're going to dig a bit deeper in that this morning, but how about I pray first that God might help us to understand. Dear Father God, we do thank you for this morning that we can gather together. We thank you for spending our Sunday morning here, but we also thank you that you meet with us. So Lord, we pray as we... uh, consider the teaching of Jesus, that we might actually know Jesus through this time, that we might actually draw near to you and open our hearts so we can hear and see you clearly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The, um, a friend of mine I was telling me about how he got a phone call from the tax department and it had him worried because they were asking him, or they were telling him, actually there's been some errors in your tax return, you owe us a significant amount of money and actually it's so serious that he could be uh, in big trouble with the law and that he had to uh, pay back a certain amount of money, a significant amount of money or actually the police might get involved for him trying to defraud the tax department. As you'd expect, he was very alarmed at this and wanted to rectify the situation Um, so they offered him, look, before we get the police involved, you have a chance of fixing this up. Actually, uh, if you don't do it today, we're going to get the police involved. So they said to him, what you must do is go down to your uh, local shopping centre and f- 
get a certain amount of money worth of iTunes cards. And with those iTunes cards, take photos, give us a record, and email it back to us, and then we'll wipe your debt clean. And as he hung up the phone in panic, thinking, I've got to rearrange my day to do this, he goes, hang on, this is not right. This sounds like a scam. What is going on here? Now, I don't know what people overseas would do with iTunes cards. I don't know how that benefits them at all. Maybe some, um, you know, they're getting into their music a lot in other countries that, that they want to get these cards to do that, but it's such hot property. But it's going, this is a scam. It's a scam. And a number of us uh, have got to ask, are we being scammed in lots of things, phone calls, things on the internet? I noticed this month in Australia, Australia have been scammed the most, or up there with the most, over $4 million, uh, and that's been what's been reported for the month of October, Australians spent on dating website scams, you know, dates where they get to know somebody and they hand over uh, money to strangers. $4 million per month we're dishing out of Australia. And I kind of think to myself, who would be so gullible? Who would be so gullible? Surely there's been enough warnings that the people would see it coming. But, yeah, I looked up and the Australian government's got a website that gives you lots of warnings about this stuff and they've got statistics on who is the most gullible and apparently it is the middle-aged men of around 50 who are spending over 100 grand per thing. It's like, wow, these people are so gullible, they're being scammed and they don't even know it. I've got a friend uh, from overseas who contacted me and he said he's being scammed. He said he's uh, from a wealthy family and is due to inherit a whole lot of money, but uh, the government is scamming him out of it. And he asked me if I could help uh, to um, divert some funds for him so I wasn't going straight to him. So he could... Um, uh, he's a well-known guy, respected guy. He's a prince in another country. Actually, I've got, <laughs> I've got a photo of him. Um, not the so. uh, this is him. He sent me a photo. I said, I don't believe you. He says, no, no, this is me. And I said to him, you know, I think this is a scam. You need to show me why, I'm not, why I should trust you. He says, okay, as a goodwill gesture, here, let me send you, send you a gift. And he sent me hundreds of dollars worth of iTunes cards. And I thought, <laughs> he's genuine. He's genuine. Why would somebody give... Anyway, it's not uh, my friend from Nigeria. Um, but we are being scammed all the time. People are trying to take from us. People are trying to steal our stuff. People are trying to take us for a ride. They promise so much but deliver so little. In fact, they take so much from us. And I wonder too, is it more than just money and stuff? But it's actually uh, lots of things oversell what, they, what the, their product is just so they can take from us. Even things like um, our belief system you know, religious stuff, that, that we're being scammed in a whole lot of ways. We should be very sceptical about what people are offering and how they are they for us or against us. Even in Jesus' day, so we're sinking a lot of time into Jesus through this Gospel of John, and he's always going on about why you can trust him. In fact, Jesus is saying, you can trust me so much, you can trust me with your whole life. Now, there are words, and we've always got to ask, you know, lots of people can say those words. Lots of people can sell so hard, but they're only words. Why should we trust someone like Jesus? Is he just another scam? Oversells, overpromises, does he deliver? Or what about other beliefs that we might have? Why is Jesus? Why should we trust Jesus more than any other promise that anybody else is making? Jesus goes into things a bit deeper here in this passage that 
tries to assure people that why he is the one they should trust, particularly in the first century. So first century, um, it's, Romans are in control, they're in Jerusalem, so lots of Jews around. Uh, if you're here last week, this story continues on from the story of last week where we saw the blind man being healed and Jesus had a bit of a run-in with the Pharisees, the, re- the religious leaders, and Jesus kind of, the, heat, the argument's heating up. And Jesus is trying to show people how he's different to the Pharisees. He's different to the religious leaders. How some people are scammers, but he's different. And this is how he, he gets into it. Um, this is from verse 1. We read a little bit later in this passage. But Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, they're the religious leaders, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. So he's using a first century uh, farming analogy. Lots of people knew how the farms worked back then. But you get the idea. The sheep you want safe in the sheep pen. The, the honest, the shepherd, will come through the gate because he can. He's out in the open. The sheep will trust him. Everybody trusts him go through the gate. If somebody's jumping the fence, they're probably up to no good. And we kind of get that in today's culture. If somebody's going through the front door, you kind of know it's probably their house or they're so familiar they're allowed to go, go in. They're honest. But if somebody's going through a window, they're probably not the honest kind of people. And Jesus is kind of saying, some people are dishonest and are going to take you for a ride, but some people are honest, they're going to protect the gate. He goes on to flesh that out a bit more from verse 2. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out and he... When he's brought them uh, all, sorry, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. You get this idea. He's, he's not just the one that's trustworthy, but they're his sheep. They know him, he knows them, he's got their best interests at heart. But then he goes on in verse 5 uh, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away. From him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. It's like there's, there's two sides to this. There's scammers in the first century, even in the sheep farming industry. There's those who are the shepherds, the honest one, that are looking after them, but there are those robbers and thieves that are going to try and cut in, and it's not their best interest. They're going to, they're going to just look after themselves, but the sheep won't recognize them. You should be able to tell the scammers. Verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. It's like first century farming principle, but Jesus is not talking to farmers. The Pharisees are more, yeah, you know, office workers, educated, the intellects, uh, they hang around the temple. They're the religious guardians of, of Israel, the Jewish faith. Uh, but they're also experts in the Old Testament. Because actually Jesus is using a lot of Old Testament language here. It's not just for the farmers, but in the Old Testament, God refers to those who oversee God's people Israel. He calls them shepherds. They're shepherds of God's people. They're shepherds of the flock. And for a lot of that, God comes down heavy on them. He says, you guys, um, Ezekiel 34 is a key passage if you want to do some reading during the week. Ezekiel 34 is a great layout. God just gets angry at these shepherds of the flock. The religious leaders, the ones hanging out of the temple, says you're not looking after the people. 
You're only in it for yourselves. He says, you shepherds, you, I can see by well, your fat tummies, you've been feeding on the sheep, your woolly, woolly coats made out of the, the skins of the sheep. It's all about you and you've neglected the sheep. And God says, I'm going to come. I'm going to come and be the shepherd. I'm going to go the one to look after the hungry. I'm going to one to look after the lame and the wounded. I'm going to be the one who helps the sheep come and sit in good pasture and lie down if they're, they're stressed and uh, tired. I'll give them a peaceful spot to lie down. I'll protect them. And I'm going to be the one to go and search for the ones that you've chased away, those who are scattered. And he says, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to send my shepherd. And it uses the language David, the good shepherd, and even calls him the prince. And we know King David was earlier on and he was a good shepherd, he loved the people and stuff. But it begs the question then, if these people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are the bad shepherds, they're only in it for themselves, and God is the good shepherd, he's going to love and look after people. When's his shepherd, when's this new David the good shepherd going to come? When's he going to look after us? Because Jesus says, there's scams going on. You need to know how to tell a scam. And the difference is, are people looking after you or are they taking from you? Are people after your best interest or are they just after your stuff and you? He calls them thieves and robbers and they're going to kill you. Are they going to leave you nothing? This is what a scam looks like in the first century. All their life surrounded, it revolves around the temple. So he goes, there's scams even in the temple. Jesus says, trust in him. Because ah, he's not the scam. Well, at the moment, he's just dividing it up. But then he goes on to address the question, how do we know that Jesus is different to the other religious leaders? You know, is he another Pharisee, just wears different clothes? Is he another form of uh, somebody making big claims? How, do, how can we trust Jesus and uh, to know that he's not just another one. Well, he goes on from verse 7. I've really mucked this up now, sorry. Here we go. Uh, how is Jesus different from the rest? Jesus says again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come and in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's a couple of big things he's claiming about himself. I'm different from the other religious leaders because I've come, I'm the gate, I'm exclusive. If you want life, there's no other way except to come through me. And it's a big claim uh, that everybody else is going to lead you down to path to destruction and death. But come through me and I'm going to give you life, even, he says, life to the full, he says. Now, if you were here last week, but I can give you a quick summary, in the previous chapter, uh, we saw how this was playing out. How Jesus healed a blind man and then the, the Pharisees couldn't believe Who's this Jesus healing a blind man? So they uh, wanted to interrogate everybody involved to, to, to see and prove Jesus wrong because Jesus can't be the Son of God. We don't want to change our ways. We don't want to believe in him because they've got their own thing going on. So they uh, brought in the blind man to ask him. They didn't believe the blind man. They brought in the, uh, his parents. What? Is he really blind? Is he really your son? How did this happen? And there was a little note in that passage how... 
uh, the parents were too afraid to say too much because the Pharisees, uh, for fear of the Pharisees kicking them out of the synagogue. The Pharisees thought they were the gatekeepers. We're the gatekeepers of truth. We're the gatekeepers of God's kingdom. We're the gatekeepers of the temple. And if you say anything positive about Jesus, you're not with us, so we're going to get rid of you. We'll kick you out to the parents. And then when the son come along and said, yeah, no, it's this Jesus guy. I think he's a prophet. I think he's a man of God. What did they do to him? They kicked him out because they're the gatekeepers. They're the ones that set the rules. They're the ones that, you know, the bar's this high. They thought they were. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Contrast to them, they're all about death. They're the robbers. They're after you. And the, the, what they're saying is heavy and oppressive. But I've come to give life. And what did Jesus do? After the guy got kicked out of the synagogue, he went to the, uh, track down the guy, the, the, the man who was healed, and he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Uh, the Son of Man being this God's man that's come into the world. And he said, who is he so that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he, he is the one speaking with you. Well, interesting extra note. I'm the one you, you can see, but I'm also the one you can hear. I actually think John, who's writing this, actually put that intentionally because Jesus talks a lot about I'm the shepherd and those who hear my voice will follow me. So when this guy heard his voice, how did he respond when he heard Jesus? The very next verse is the man says, Lord, I believe. And he fell down and worshipped him. He heard the voice. God's good shepherd the Son of God coming, he heard and he followed. The Pharisees were just oppressive. He says, you guys are the thieves and the robbers, they're stealing everything from you. But I've come to give you life, life to the full. And we can see it, see it happening, how things are playing out. So we can see that in the first century. They, could, they were walking around with Jesus and they could see him doing this stuff. But what does it mean for us today? Big claims by Jesus. I'm the shepherd. I'm not going to steal and thieve from you. I'm the good shepherd. I'm God's man. I'm the one you can trust. How do we see that playing out today? Because Jesus is going to give us a few truths that's going to show us why we should trust Jesus and not just another, another person making big claims. He's got four things he's going to point out in this next, uh, in this next section. And it's a little bit like, you know, when you sign up to a contract, they give you the terms and conditions, and there's just so much fine print that you just go, oh, whatever, tick the box. Yeah, I read the terms and conditions, now sign me up. Well, Jesus is going, no, no, you actually need to know about me. You need to know what I'm offering. This is now the fine print if you want to be a follower of Jesus. These are the terms and conditions. Four things he's going to put out there. The first one, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the, he's not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks, and attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. See, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. On the one hand, he's going, remember all that stuff in the Old Testament? Ezekiel, God saying, I'm going to send a good shepherd, my shepherd. He says, that's me. I'm the good shepherd. But even if you don't uh, hold to the Old Testament that tightly, he says this is the difference between God's shepherd and other shepherds. One is going to take and steal and rob, and the other one, me, he says, I'm going to lay down my life. 
my best interest is in the sheep, that I will lay down my life for them. The welfare of the sheep is more important than his life. Feel that? All the, everybody's in the terms and conditions. You must abide by this. You do this. But he's going, no, no. If you follow me, I will do this for you. And notice how he says, not if you're in trouble, I'm the shepherd. If the wolf calmed and if he looked like attacking, if he threatened the sheep and if you feel in danger, I will then lay down my life. He goes, no, I will. I will lay down my life. It's very clear. He knows his sheep are in trouble. He says, I will lay down my life. This is how you know you can trust in me because I will lay down my life so the sheep can have that life, life to the full. He goes on uh, from verse 14 over the second thing. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And you've got to think, well, what's this relationship like between us and the shepherd or us and Jesus? And we kind of got to think, we see this picture in the Bible of Jesus and the Father for eternity past. Jesus and his Father are one. They're inseparable. And he, even through creation, we see them both in action. But now Jesus has come into the world and he's going, yeah, you know what, me and the Father, we are one. You know, it's said over and over and over in the Gospel of John. And even uh, after he walks the earth, gets killed and he's resurrected, he goes back to the Father and for eternity into the future, Jesus and the Father are one. He's saying, you know what, you're invited into that, that I know you enough, that I'm not going to reject you or hold you at arm's length, I'm going to pull you in that you will be safer with me than you've ever been, ever before, never, ever experienced. You'll be accepted by me and by the Father, like never before that you've experienced in this world. He says, I know you, and you know me in this relationship. Now, this is almost like a snippet. We're only going to look at the first half of this chapter in detail, which we are. But uh, the back half of the chapter, there's more arguing with the Pharisees and he gives us a little bit more information. So I'm just going to drop in a few verses that he fleshes this out a little bit more uh, from verse 27. He says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. Get this idea. This is the terms and conditions of following Jesus. He's our shepherd. He says, you've got a relationship. I know you, and you know me. My Father's going to hold you in his hand. I'm going to hold you. No one's going to steal you out of that relationship. You're in that safe sheep pen, loved and accepted. That's the second thing that he's saying, why you can trust me? Because I've got you, I've got you. This is contrasted to the Pharisees still. The Pharisees, by this time in the argument, by the end of the chapter, I think they've twigged on, oh, you're saying we're the bad chapters, in the, uh, the bad she, uh, shepherds in the Old Testament? It's like, and they're getting offended. You're saying we don't look after the sheep? We don't look after our own? So what do they do in the very next verse? Uh, they go to stone him. <laughs> it's like Jesus, their fellow Jew, 
We don't like you. We're going to stone you. But don't tell us we don't care for our own. It's again, Jesus going, are you seeing what's going on here? Who's the true? And who the scam? Jesus says, you can trust me. You can trust me. Here's the third thing. The third thing that Jesus is saying, why we can trust in him. That he actually goes looking for his sheep, that he cares about us so much. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, but I must bring them all, I must Bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. It's almost like that stuff in Ezekiel where God was saying, you guys have done such a bad job. You've scattered the sheep. They're everywhere. Jesus saying, look, I've come back here and even for those who aren't with us now, aren't sort of in Jerusalem at the temple now, I'm going out looking for them. Those who have wandered off, maybe even chased off by the religious leaders. And I know many people in this congregation has, has experienced stuff like that. There's been times in our life where we've, uh, in our younger days, we've wandered away from the flock, wandered away from God's word, wandered away from trusting him, wandered away from church. We've just wandered looking for answers to life. But through life's journey, Jesus has tracked us down and Jesus has brought us back into the flock. Whether it's us in our own journey or, or whether we've been chased away, yeah, I'm sure many of people here have experienced whether the church has done the wrong thing by us or church people have upset us and we've gone, there's got to be something better, better than what we're experiencing here. So we've wandered off from the flock as well. But Jesus never gives up on us. Jesus never says, you know what, that was your last chance. If you want to go, there's the door on your way. He never says that. But he says, I'll go searching for those hurting I'll go searching for the lost. I'll go searching for the wounded. And I'll bring them back. I'll love them. I'll build them up. This is what I'll do as the good shepherd. I'll go looking for the lost, not just those who are good enough, but for those who aren't, uh, aren't accepted. He'll bring them back. That's the third thing. So we've got, he'll lay down his life. He knows us better than anyone. And he'll go looking for, for those who are far off. And now this is the fourth one. This is the, the deal breaker. Because so far, they're big promises. Might have seen snippets of it. But what's the deal breaker? Here's the fourth one from verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father, this oneness from the father. Father loves his sheep. He loves the people. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus. And to save us, he's got to be the shepherd who lays his life down for us so that we might have life. Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Now, if you're still a skeptic, you're going to kind of go empty words. Anybody can say that. But then in the back half of this chapter, Jesus fleshes it out a bit more from verse 37 where he says, you know what? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, talking about you don't believe my words, but if I do them, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. He's actually calling it. You know what? If I don't fulfill anything that I've said, walk away, call me a scam, and I'm just another person in history that's made some big claims. But, but if I do the works of my Father, if I go to the cross 
which will end up happening, which he lays his life down. Not just he lays his down, nobody takes it from him. He chooses to lay his life down uh, at the hands of the Romans, at the hands of sinners. But then he's lifted up again, he takes his life up again. When he actually, uh, once he's dead, he rises again. Now, if you want proof of how good a product is, you know, the advertisers can make some huge claims. This is the best thing you'll ever see on earth. You need this product. Jesus is going, you know what? Here's a big claim. I'm going to die for my people. But don't worry, I'm going to be rise, raised again. And if I don't do it, throw me in the trash. But if I do do it, believe. You need to believe. Because these are big claims and he's putting it all on the line. Now, this is what happens. We get held in suspense. Is Jesus going to do it? What's going to happen? Can we really trust in him? But it's not until you get to the end of John. John makes it really clear. Jesus was killed. He was buried. And he did rise again. There's lots of witnesses that Jesus did do it. And he ends his book saying, there's so much more to say about this. But you need to believe. The evidence is there. He's done everything that he claimed to do. It's interesting to know that uh, even for many people, they think, oh, the Bible's just some sort of fairy tale. There's no real history behind it. But even um, there's a guy called John Dixon, an Australian historian, does a, lot of, does a lot of work on this, going, what is the evidence for the resurrected Jesus? And he said in his faculty at his university, uh, lots of historians, most of them not Christians, they say, looking at all the evidence outside the Bible and inside the Bible, to say something incredible happened at that time. Say, why is everybody writing about this? Why were lives changed so radically? Why were the disciples, for example, prepared to give up their life for this Jesus guy? There must have been something like a resurrection for this to happen. It's like, this is not fairy tale stuff. Jesus says, if this really happened, believe. And we can. Scammers can't say that. People with big promises can't back that up. That he's the one that's not going to take from you and rob you, but he's the one that's going to build you up and strengthen you and give you life. That's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. He says, I'm going to lay down my life for you because your life is more important than mine in that moment that Jesus would give his life for us to live. Second, he said that he knows us better than anyone, that he's going to hold us close, that he's never going to abandon us, that he will go looking for those far off. And if that's any of us here that feel like we're at church today and we've been on a bit of a journey, there's real hope for us that Jesus, that through Jesus, that we'll be accepted into the family and that he will give his life for you, not just the empty words of a scammer, but they're rich words of Jesus. He says, watch what's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, don't believe. But if it does happen... There's something to this. Now, if we're in the first century, we're comparing Jesus and the Pharisees, the other religious leaders. Even today, we're saying, this is Jesus' claims, and there's other religious claims out there that we can weigh up. What is truth? What are we going to bank on? Are they scamming us, or is it truth? But there's a whole lot of other things that are trying to scam us in our belief system that try and rob us. That if we go, if Jesus is going to do all this for me, for me and give me life, why am I chasing these other, other things that are jumping the fence and getting into the pen? As I'm, some are obvious, some are less obvious. Let me give you an example of a, just three. Because I don't think we, we see them coming. One is things like our pursuit of 
this life to the full? And where are we going to find satisfaction and happiness, fulfillment? One is through our wealth. Through our wealth, wealth promises that you'll have the life you want. You know, if I had all this money, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. It would be the good life, the easy life. But you kind of never see a wealthy person kicking back and going, that's it, I've done enough, I'm not investing anymore, I'm not chasing any more money because I've made it. No. It's always, I've come this far, I need more, I want more, I could do so, so much more with more and more money. That in, for most people, the, the pursuit of wealth comes at a huge cost. Work more hours, jump, go up the career chain, uh, to, to pursue the, the dream life, that it costs us with our time, costs us with our families, costs us often with our relationship with our kid, maybe even with our spouses. You get to the end of your life and you go, what have I got? The pursuit of money has actually killed me because it's take, take, take. It's taken my soul in that pursuit of the good life, the full life. It never feeds you and makes you better it sneaks in by the back gate what about this whole uh, idea of beauty youth and sexuality that promises so much sec uh, so much satisfaction that you go you know this would be the good life oh, i was always looking young and i felt good and you know fulfilled in that area that this will be awesome but to achieve it i'm getting close to 50 so these are real life examples uh you've got to fight the bulge you gotta fight the sags, you gotta fight the wrinkles. You know, I'm not youthful anymore, so I've gotta keep on top of that if I'm gonna maintain that side, because that's gonna be the good life for me. I don't get old, because that makes, you know, that's like death to me that I can't be young and able anymore, and I don't have the looks. It was interesting, uh, a plastic surgeon said, and I wish I had the exact quote, but this is uh, the closest I could get, said, uh, he's talking about how people are just coming back again and again for plastic surgery. And he can see, the it's not about just, I want to just touch up a few things, it's actually a heart issue, that they're pursuing something in life that's trying to find satisfaction in that. And he said, this plastic surgeon uh, said, if you're counting on beauty and youth for life, you'll die a thousand deaths before you're old. And what he's saying is, you know, it might be fix up a few wrinkles here, but before you know it, you need a bit of stuff removed here and a bit of pick-me-up back there and then a bit of lift here. And he says, by the time you do one, you're up to the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. He says, if, if, if that's your meaning to life, that's where you're going to find fulfilment is, is youth and beauty. He says, you're going to die a thousand deaths before you get to your actual death. It's going to kill you and leave you empty. Uh, one more, even power and respect that we pursue subtly because it sneaks in over the back fence. That we always want to be climbing higher up the chain so people look up at us. That being, having respect and being liked is the answer. That's going to give me, give me fulfilment that people look at you in that way. But if people don't like you, that's like death. It's like anxiety. That's when people see that we're weak and we're afraid. So we're always trying to push other people down so we get higher and more popular. But that again will bring you down because you'll be overcome by anxiety and worry that people might see the real you. It's like we chase these things very subtly. They sneak in by the back fence. But he says they're going, Jesus says they're, they're thieves, they're robbers. They're going to kill and destroy you. With Jesus, if he's going to give us life, 
If he's the one who's going to care for us, love for us, protect us, hold us close, and through the cross, that he can do that. It's like, why would we trust anything else? So we need to keep coming back to Jesus, back to the cross, trusting him and him alone. No matter if we're Christians here today, we need to be aware of what are we really following? Are we being scammed? Or if we're here today and we're not yet trusting Jesus, we're saying, well, is this offering me more than what the world is offering? Because what I'm seeing in Jesus, Jesus has already done it. The world is always offering something new, chase this, do that, promises of happiness and fulfilment, but never uh, quenching the thirst. See, Jesus came to care for you, to invest you at a personal cost to himself. He's not a thief, he's not a scam, but he's the one that actually builds you up, that you are loved, that you've got a place to belong. And we've got a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus, that that is significant, something we shouldn't, uh, shouldn't just wipe away. And if we're far from God, come to him, even come to him today. Because you know he's waiting for you. He's probably brought you here today so you can trust in him. Let me pray. Because I know all of our stories are different. All our walks are different. But we know we've got a loving God who assures us that never changes. But he welcomes us home. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for sending us Jesus. Lord, we, we hear these words that you love us. You hear these words that you welcome us, that you accept us, that you want to repair our wounds. But Lord, it's when we see Jesus, your son. That's when we see it's not just talk. We see that you do back up your words. Lord, thank you that we do have hope in this world. Lord, even though if we're being scammed, if we're being hurt by other things, we know you're the sure and safe place that we can come to. So help us to run to you this morning, to cling to you, to know what other thieves and robbers are in our lives trying to steal us away from you. But Lord, let us find true life in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.